is the first Sunday of Advent, and so we're going to talk a little bit of that before we get into our uh, lesson, but uh, to just kind of uh, whet your appetite and uh, help you uh, uh, get in the mood, let's look at this video. It's the Christmas season. It's that time of year when you unbury all the decorations from the attic in the garage. You put up the Christmas tree. You find that missing stocking with the reindeer on it. You clean out the gutters so that you can string up the lights before it snows or you're the last dark house on the block. The kids have road games, early practices, that huge history project, and final tests to study for, along with five different Christmas parties and your son's extra holiday hours at his part-time job. When can you start driving again? Don't forget to write down the dates and times for the performances and the rehearsals of the programs at church, at school, and at the senior center where they want you to come dressed up as an elf. In tights. Then there's the shopping. Your son wants a new gaming system that can read his mind. Your daughter wants a doll that you're going to have to make payments on. Your sister's emailed you three times asking what you want for Christmas and why you haven't just gotten an Amazon wish list set up already. Your spouse thinks maybe the two of you should just get each other a new furnace for Christmas or maybe just donate all the gift money to orphans in Cambodia. And then there's the secret Santa thing at work. What's a white elephant gift again, anyway? The school sent home a note saying half the kids have strep. Your spouse came home with a box of double extra-strength cough medicine and a case of Kleenex boxes. You're pretty sure there was something wrong with that last piece of fruitcake you just ate. And your daughter's so stuffy, she looks and sounds just like Rudolph. Christmas is at your parents' house this year. And at your spouse's brother's place down south. And at your aunt's place on the lake. If the weather's nice and your kids sleep in the car, you might just make it to all three. And you should make sure that you stop in at the office party for at least a little while. Also, your friends are in town, so could you set aside a night of the week to do a special Christmas just with them? Oh, and can we do it at your house? Your boss needs you to make sure you get that project done before Christmas, even though he's going to be out of town until January, and you have to cover for your coworker who spends every Christmas in Hawaii. Also, none of your contractors will answer the phone after December 15th. Plus, you need to make that green bean dish you're so good at for Christmas dinner, and that peppermint dessert all the kids love for the other Christmas dinner, and something gluten-free for Uncle Dale, and a backup ham just in case your mom's stove blinks out again. Also, there's cookies and carols at the church on Saturday afternoon. Everybody bring two dozen. Oh, and don't forget, Jesus is the reason for the season. Merry Christmas. Okay, can you relate to that? That's kind of the beginning of the of the season. I want you to take this insert out of your bulletin out uh, because that video uh, says better than what I can, the reason why I would suggest, I would encourage you and your family to celebrate Advent, because somehow you've got to counteract that schedule, that busyness, and I know our family has found if if we make this a priority, and if we do it, it does make a difference. And so, uh, Pastor Bruce is starting uh, Advent series upstairs for the next four Sundays, and so in the past, in our class, I've provided materials, but since he is preaching this sermon, we can use the sermon notes, and then each week we'll have an insert with discussion questions uh, geared mostly to our grow groups. So they are geared towards adults, but the cool thing about celebrating Advent with, is with your kids, if you have kids, it can be a really special time. So what you have to do is just take these questions and pick one out or two out, and uh, you know your kids as well as you can certainly uh, Google and surf the Internet for literally hundreds. The problem with almost any spiritual habit in the Christian life living in America 
is not the lack of resources, it's the lack of will. And so there are terrific, great resources. If you want help on finding those or projects for your kids, then you can come to me and I can, I can steer you to some places. And I, I, have a whole, I have a whole notebook. In fact, it's there in my backpack, a whole notebook of Advent devotionals of like four years worth, okay, from different sources. So uh, take a look at it. It says next four weeks there will be discussion questions in the bulletin based on Bruce's Christmas sermon series. Uh, Jesus, behold his glory. Uh, you can use these, begin the and- annual tradition of celebrating Advent. Uh, you can read through that. Of course, Christmas is just gets crazier and crazier. And I've found as my kids grow older and older, um, as my daughter grows older and older, the schedules get crazier. And uh, family devotions are probably hardest preteens and teens. Uh, early kids, it's just, it's fun. And they, they think it's fun, and, and there's a bedtime, and there's a, there's a routine. You get older, and it's not, it, it takes more effort. But uh, Advent begins with, you take whenever Christmas is, and you count four Sundays back, four Sundays back. So this Christmas, uh, Advent begins today, December the 2nd. And typically, uh, what you use is an Advent wreath, or what I call an Advent nativity. And that's what we've enjoyed more than anything is uh, typically they'd have a wreath with four candles and then candle in the middle. But more and more you can find what I call an Advent nativity that in this case it has the whole Christmas story going around here and it's fun and you can turn this uh, on your table to where that portion of the story. Uh, we have one at our house that has uh, uh, all the nativity figurines, full you know, sized little nativity figurines. And so... I like those better because it tells the story of the people of Christmas. And uh, what you do is just light one of those candles, gather your family around. In fact, if you look in here, it says, how does your family celebrate Advent? And I just went through and told uh, not, the, not the crazy stories because this was like for general consumption. So, uh, so it, it's been censored for public use. But you can see how our family celebrates Advent. And it's, it's just basic and it's simple. And, uh, and, and it's fun, and it's meaningful. And so this is the first Sunday of Advent, and so what we'll do, since we're down here celebrating Advent, we'll light this first uh, candle, if it lights. And then uh, as you uh, read and as you uh, do your devotions with your family, or if you're single, this, this can be done with, by yourself. I mean, this is a meaningful time of your devotion and your uh, time with the Lord, or if you have roommates, you with your roommate, and then, uh, you know, pray and read the passage of Scripture. What we're going to do in our house is we'll read on Sunday when we do it, um, or Monday when we have group on Sunday, uh, we'll read the passage that Bruce uh, preached from, which will all be from John chapter 1. So you could really simply read the chapter of John chapter 1 each week, review the sermon notes, Review the discussion notes. You could use the discussion questions throughout the whole rest of the week. So really, if you don't, if you're, you say, I don't know anything of what to do, I've never done this, you're all set. Just take the discussion notes each week out of the uh, bulletin, and you could review them for the whole week, or you could cover them in, in one uh, small group session like we'll do in our group tonight. And then next week, you light the second candle, and it just gets real cool and fun. The kids like to watch the candles uh, at different area, areas. If you have more than one child, they'll fight over who gets to light it. 
and you might have to make an executive decision in light of your insurance policy, but uh, then the fun is who gets to blow it out. So if you take a look at all that, there's discussion questions, and the second page, or the third and fourth page of this is the discussion questions for the sermon that we'll hear in just a few minutes upstairs. All right, so it's exciting. Great time of year. Uh, slow yourself down and put Christ. You know, here's the thing. We can get so uh, politicized or get involved with the culture wars of, and I, and I have really no problem with pushing back against our culture. We, you know, we can do that. Uh, this is Christmas. This isn't just a holiday and all those kind of things. But here's the deal. If we do that publicly, politically, and culturally, but in our own homes and in our own hearts, Christ isn't at the center of, of, the, of this rest of this month, then we're really kind of hypocritical in defeating ourselves because nobody can take your Christmas worship away from you unless you let them or you just do it yourself. And I have in here, you know, we've let the busyness, we'll, we'll have, have it set out and them candles will just be just like that for the whole month, you know, come Christmas. We've done that before and I'm sure those of you that have attempted to do this annually have been there and done that. Terry's saying yes. So that does happen. But because we do have a commitment to it and it's always there, we know that we're doing that and we know that, hey, we let this year get away. We're not going to do that again next year. And it certainly, I know, speaking for our family, it helps when my church family is doing the same thing. You know, that's always great. And that's why we have a church family. Going it alone in your Christian life, that's not the route. You want to go with others and in community. And so uh, this is a great opportunity to do that. And uh, we'll be doing that in our group. If you're not a part of a grow group or you want to be a part of one that's doing that, just let me know. We can get you situated. And uh, looking forward to a great Christmas. Are you? Great things. All right. Big part of Advent is uh, singing a carol and, and reading the scripture. We're going to read scripture and study it here in a moment. So, Kirk, uh, bring, lead us in uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Read through these words this morning to prepare my heart. Sing it unto the Lord with his grace. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Israel that mourns in lonely exile here. Until the Son of God appear, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel has come to thee, O Israel. O come, thou day spring, come and cheer. Our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night, and death's dark shadows put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel has come to thee, O Israel. 
Oh, come desire of nations bind in one the hearts of all mankind. Bid thou our sad division cease and be thyself our King of peace. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel has come to thee, O Israel, has come to thee, O Israel. Father, we come, we just sang some really profound words. As the conflict, division, strife, hatred, and war heats up in the Middle East, we sing again, O come, O come, Emmanuel, God with us, come to your chosen people Israel and bring peace, not only to that nation, but to our entire world, and Lord, bring peace to our hearts right here this morning in our class. We all have broken relationships. We all have less than perfect situations that we're dealing with, some more intense than others. Some may be in a a time of peace, but there's always another conflict that can erupt. And we pray that you, as the Prince of Peace, you, as God with us, would be at the center of our lives and determine by your word how we would deal with that. Father Israel, you came to Israel over 2,000 years ago, and they missed it. So many of them missed it, but a few who were prepared, few who you have chosen, few who responded with faith and obedience. They celebrated that very first Christmas. Lord, we want to be a people who are humbled, and we don't want to be so proud or so disobedient that we miss what you have for us in this month. So, Father, I pray that we would not miss your coming that we would truly know and not just sing, Emmanuel, God is with us. And that would begin today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That's just good. Good, good singing that and good uh, preparing for that. Turn to your uh, in your Bibles to Colossians. We're going to learn uh, one last lesson from uh, Nympha, uh, a lady who had an open heart and an open home. And uh, it's a good uh, intersection of Advent and uh, having worship in our home and the lesson that we're going to look at this morning. We've realized over these last few weeks that it isn't just men. It isn't just men who get to uh, make their mark for eternity. Women have that opportunity as well. And so as we come now here to the to the uh, closing weeks of this series, it's good to focus on this lady. Turn your Bibles, Colossians chapter 4, and verses 15 and 16 highlight this lady and her ministry. Look at verse 15. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And so we see that Nympha is a lady, probably a woman of some wealth, certainly well-respected, a lady who Christ has opened her heart, and now she opens her home 
to the church and ministry to others. And so we're going to follow in the footsteps of Nympha. And here's the big principle from last week and this week. Open your heart to opening your home as a place of ministry. Open your heart to opening your home as a place of ministry. And we looked last week at this woman who made her mark. And I won't review that, but I put it there in case you weren't here last week. A little background on her that you can look at. But the main thing, I do want to read this passage. In Acts 16, 14 through 15, we see a lady by the name of Lydia, very much like Nympha. And while we're not told how Nympha came to the Lord and and how she grew, we are told how Lydia is. And Lydia is a paradigm. She's a, a pattern for all of us. And so I do want to read this passage. Notice what it says, Acts 16, 14 through 15. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods. It's a woman who's a leader, a business lady. She got her act together, and she was a worshiper of God, a Gentile person who saw the truth of the gospel in the Jewish faith but was not ready to become a Jew. The Lord opened her heart, and that's so key. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Now, right there, this, this and the passage in First Peter that we'll look at later in this lesson are the two key passages, uh, in my estimation, when you look at hospitality. And here's the key. The Lord opens our heart, and when he opens our heart, we open our home to others. We open our lives, we open our, our resources to serving others, just as Christ has reached out to us. So that's why I wanted to read that to you. Now, drop down your notes. It says, how did Nympha make her mark as a female Christ follower? Well, Christ opened her heart to himself. Christ opened her heart to himself, and she opened her home to his people as she ministered together with men as co-heirs in Christ. I said last week, as we study this lady's life, there's really two key principles, so I broke it up, and, and we're looking at it in two lessons. The first principle is this, and we studied it last week, make your mark by ministering with one another as co-heirs with Christ. And we said women in ministry, it's not just a good thing, Martha Stewart, it's a God thing. And I gave you four principles there and just really touched on that. I hope that motivated you. And if you weren't here last week, then you can go to uh, our website. It'll be up there. You can download it, download the notes, listen to it. And it's just a reminder that there's no room for chauvinism in the church. But equally, there's no room for feminism in the church. And women were drawn to men like our Savior Jesus and the Apostle Paul, who was an aggressive man's man. I mean, if there was a guy who, you know, could, could, could take his uh, lumps, literally, stoned, left for dead, beaten with wit. I mean, he was strong. He was courageous. He wasn't tall, dark, and handsome, of which I take great uh, hope in. He was uh, short and gnarly and uh, wasn't really anything to look at. But he was a man. But he was a man to whom women were drawn. So he wasn't a chauvinist. But we saw, too, that there were crowds of women who followed these men. And let me emphasize, ladies, they followed. 
And that shows that these women weren't feminists. They didn't have to be out front. They didn't have to be in charge. They didn't have to be in authority over men in order to find their significance. So you find exactly what you find in Genesis chapter 1. Men responsible to lead, women responsible to follow, and together they are interdependent and form a beautiful team. And in the church, we have the same thing. We have single women, single men, married men, married women. We can be on ministry teams together and in purity and with respect and dignity. We serve together, and uh, we've had a lot of success and a lot of joy and a lot of memories in doing that here at Glenwood. Amen? Well, that was last week. This week, we have the second uh, second principle, second way to make your mark. As women in ministry is not just a good thing, it's a God thing. Here's another guideline. If you want to make your mark like Nympha did, and this is what we want to look at, let hospitality open doors for ministry in your home. Let hospitality open doors for ministry in your home. It said Nympha, a woman, and the church in her house. And we want to highlight that. And so here's the principle for today. Ministry in the home, it's not just a good thing, Martha Stewart. It's a God thing. Ministry in the home, it's not just a good thing, it's a God thing, and I want to show you that by looking at three principles this morning. Now, I gave you uh, examples of ministry in the home. Uh, We looked at those a little bit last week. I have them there again for you. Uh, Women open their homes. Men open their homes. Perhaps, we don't know for sure. Uh, More than likely, these were single women, either single due to never having been married, single due to widowed, perhaps single due to desertion. We have men who are perhaps single as well. We just don't know, but we know there's men, women, Jews, Gentiles. Terrific amount of ministry took place in homes. Now, I don't want to go into these, but as I sat there uh, these last two weeks and thought through this, why is that? Why is so much ministry in the home? Why, why, um, Why does why did the early church meet in homes? Is that because we're supposed to always do it? There's a whole movement. You can go on the Internet, check them out. There's a whole movement of house churches that they say, you know, real church would never gather like this. Okay? And, and they would call, uh, or like what we will upstairs. They'd call that rows. They would say, uh, the church never met in rows. It always met in circles. You know, circles, homes. Now, our class is a hybrid, which I think is a great benefit to our class is it's a group meeting, but it's not as large as a congregation, and yet we got these tables for a specific reason, to get you out of rows, get you into tables, and it, it, it tremendously enhanced the fellowship of our church. So this is a hybrid, but I'm talking about upstairs. They would say, church never met in rows, they met in circles, they met in homes. But the reality is, if you look through these passages that I gave you, the church met in rows and circles. They met in large gatherings for uh, proclamation and preaching, and then they gathered in homes for the kind of things that we're going to look at today. But why did they, at that time, meet in homes? So let me give you just four reasons. These aren't in your notes, and I'm not going to go into detail, but some of you might find these interesting. First of all, for legal reasons. Christianity was not legal. You couldn't go and and, uh, gather in a place and say, this is a Christian uh, place where Christians gather. This is a building for Christian worship. It was illegal and eventually was persecuted not only by the Jews, but by the Romans. So when you're persecuted, what do people do to your buildings? 
They burn it, and they've done it throughout history, and they may do it again. And they have done it contemporarily down in the South. Churches have been built for uh, racial and, and hatred and persecution reasons. And so, and we'll talk a little bit about what do you do when your church gets burned down. I got a pastor friend who just last month, uh, they were meeting in a school, not in, not in a building, but not in a church building, but in a school. School burned down, burned all their equipment, all their praise team, everything they had was stored in that. They, he came home from vacation, and the, and the school was burned down. What do you do? What do you do? Interesting. Number two, practical reasons. Where else could they meet? Uh, Paul did use some rented halls, but mostly it came down to personal homes. Uh, archaeology reveals that homes were remodeled to hold more of the church. So, you know, some of you need to br- uh, break down some walls there so we can expand and uh, meet there. Uh, the need for hospitality, there was practical reasons. The need for hospitality in those days were great. Uh, you couldn't go to Motel 6 and feel safe. Okay, you couldn't go to Marriott and stay when you traveled. We put our missionaries up at Hyatt Place, great place, one of the best places, one of the best things that we do, and, and yet you didn't have those back then. They were dirty, they were immoral, and they were uh, 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 threatening physically to life and to resources, and so you had to stay at home. Thirdly, there were sociological reasons. There's a sense of acceptance, welcome, and hospitality and a relaxed atmosphere that comes from meeting in homes. And those of you that are part of our small group ministry know there's just something about, you know, we could hold our group, and sometimes you have to, like down here or, uh, you know, here at church, we've done that, and and sometimes you have to, and you do that. But it's not the same, is it, as meeting in somebody's home. So there's sociology uh, involved. And then there's theological reasons. Do you know the church is called the family of God, right? And do you know the church? Uh, at local churches are, are called in Timothy and the pastorals, the household of God. So there's even theological reasons for why we would minister and meet in homes. So that, that was kind of a little extra there of why, why we do those things. But we don't have to. There's a, well, I, I probably should add a fifth one, a, a methodological reasons of circles and rows, balancing out corporate worship with the smaller intimacy of meeting in a home. Someone write that down and remind me that I said that. Would you do that, Todd? You're the man. Write that down. Uh, Here's what God's calling us to do. Let me give you three practical things. I want to challenge you. I pray this will be life-changing for you today. There's some of you, you're going to have a breakthrough today. Some of you are going to have a breakthrough in terms of opening your home and opening your heart to opening your home. That's all I want to do. I want to motivate you to open your heart to open your home. And as we saw with Lydia, I can't do that. Only the Lord can open your heart to what I am going to be sharing with you. So let's look at that. Open your heart to seeing ministry in your home as an opportunity. See it as an opportunity. Turn your Bibles to 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4, 9 through 11. Here's the second key passage on hospitality. I just showed you the, uh, the one in Acts 16. Now here's the second one. You put these two passages together, and you can get you a theology of hospitality, and uh, you can lay out principles that will last you for the rest of your life. Let's look at First Peter 4, 9 through 11. Here's what it says. And it's a command. And it's a command to everyone, not just people with big homes, not just people who are married, but to everyone who is a Christ follower that's here. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. In other words, you don't just get to be, some people just like being the host. 
and, and there's, you know, and they don't want to ever get out of their cocoon. They don't want to go to someone else. They always want to be the host. And there's some that always want to be the guest. You know, they don't want to ever do the hard work of hosting and, and, and having people in their home. But it says, show hospitality to one another without what? Grumbling. I, don't you love the Bible? It doesn't idealize these things. And uh, anybody who's had people in your home know there's grumbling that goes on while they're there, before they come. There's grumbling that goes on while they're there, and there's grumbling big time after they leave. Do you, are, is anybody honest enough to agree to that? Yeah, you know there is. Bible says stop it. <laughs> you know, I, sorry, that's, that's another thing about the Bible. Stop it. Quit doing that. Show hospitality with one another without grumbling. Notice then it says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You see, there's a variety of things that God has gifted you with, resourced you with, given to you. Don't compare it to other people. This is the biggest hang-up in hospitality. This is the biggest hang-up. I don't have so-and-so's home. I don't have so-and-so's resources. They can change their carpet every month. I can't. i got to preserve this. You know, lay the plastic down and bite people over. Um, Whoever speaks... As one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. That's the goal of opening our hearts. That's the goal of opening our homes. To Him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. See, if you're doing this, if you're having people in your home to bring glory to yourself or what, what, what you have, that's the wrong reason. And uh, the whole reason that we're doing this, God gets glory in the mundane mess of your home. That might be worth saying to each other. God gets glory in the mundane mess of our home. Make it real simple. God can be glorified in our mess. Why don't you say that to each other? Just to encourage you and make sure you're awake. Go ahead. God can be glorified in our mess. Okay? Now, that's not to say... that's. All right, now let me let me give you. I'm, we're going to move through these next four subpoints. I want to move through this quickly because here's the deal: it's an opportunity to fulfill the purpose of our church. We've spent some time here at the beginning of the year, or middle of the year, or beginning of fall. I don't know. I'm so confused. It's Christmas. It's chaos. We've looked at our purpose, which is uh, summarized in four words: know, grow, show, and go. Okay, know Christ, and then you grow within Christ. And then you show Christ in ministry, and then you go with Christ, taking him to others who need him. Now, that's the purpose of our church. That's everything that we do here. We're, we're seeking to line all that up and accomplish that purpose. But that's the same purpose why you open your home. That was the same purpose why Nympha opened her home, was so that people could know Christ, so that people could grow in Christ, so people could show Christ by ministering to one another with the one another's, and so that they could go with Christ by actually inviting people into their home or reverse hospitality, going to your unsafe friend's house so that you can be in their environment on their turf and share Christ in their environment. Beautiful thing and a wonderful means that uh, Gwen and I have used. So let's look at this. Um, what I've given to you are various examples in Scripture. And we don't won't look them all up. That's for you to do. That's for you to to explore on your own. But in each case, I've taken these four purposes 
And there are great examples, probably, well, I know, far more than what I've listed, of how in Scripture people use their home to accomplish those purposes. All right? Isn't that cool? See, we think of it all happening here at church. So, so if nothing else, if I can help you to break out of the view that it all happens when we come here, and then we kind of live by our own values, live isolated in our homes, live our own way, watching our own entertainment, uh, talking and living and spending our time our own way in our homes, realize, no, what we do here to glorify Christ is what should be going on in our home. Amen? And so here's the proof of that. First of all, know Christ. Your home can be used to enjoy worship as a church. Your home can be used to enjoy worship as a church. If need be, we can meet in our homes and we can have church just like we have it here. We don't have to have this building. So I told you about my pastor friend. And so, you know what they did? They met out. He's in Montana. So they met outdoors. They met outdoors. And I I wish I had the time to share with you the phenomenal lessons that they learned as a body. Now, if you're in Montana, you're not going to meet outdoors very long this month. I mean, this was just a month ago. Okay, so they are in a building. But... Uh, if if our church, you know, imagine for a moment that arson occurred and our church is burned down, the very or an accident, and we we caught our furnace caught on fire one time when Tyrone and Bruce and Gwen and I were here, and and uh, uh, we saw Bruce like a super action hero break the glass of the expire extinguisher and put it out. If we had not been here, this church would have been burnt to the ground. Now, thank God, we now have. You know, I can thank I thank God for one thing with this whole mess on this road, and that is we now have a fire hydrant right in front of our church. And Randy, we're calling the insurance company to see if we don't get a break because I do think we're going to get assessed for having that put there. <laughs> but uh, if this church would burn down, what would we do? Well, we'd still meet, and on Sundays we we'd we'd communicate and meet in homes, uh, and we'd have to obviously expand our, our our small group ministry. But that's what you would do. We would meet. The persecuted church of China is not only called the underground church because it's persecuted, but it's also called the house church because why? They can't have the buildings and they meet in homes. The early church used both circles and rows uh, in order to worship, and we should be able to do, we should and can do the same thing. So you can worship there. Advent, All I'm advocating for you with this and with the discussion, if you gather your family, you know what you're doing in your home? You're helping your family know Christ. You're worshiping in your home. Make sense? It's very simple. You're fulfilling that purpose, and you you can do it on a weekly basis or even nightly uh, leading up to Christmas. Okay, second purpose is grow in Christ. Grow in Christ. Your home can be used to strengthen the walk of others. So once they know Christ, you can use your home for discipleship, for growing people in Christ. Do you realize in the Gospel of Mark, the vast majority, well, in the Gospel of Mark, nearly all of Jesus' discipleship with the twelve took place in homes. If you read through Mark, it's one of the themes. And he would preach to the crowds, rows, the idea of rows, crowds, and then he would gather in circle with his twelve in a home away away from the crowds, and they would focus on growing in Christ. But, of course, the greatest, a couple examples, Acts 18, 26, uh, speaking of Apollos, Apollos began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila, 
this is one of the people that always had a church in their home, heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, I had, all, I had studied this out before. I had always thought that meant they kind of said, Paulus, when you're done, come over here. And then they stood on the side. Literally, what the, the word means in Greek, they received him. Well, that's one, of the, that's one of the words in Scripture for hospitality. More than likely, what they did was after he's done, they went up and shook his, you know how they always shake the speaker's hand? Good job, good job. You know, that time of greatest line takes place in the church at that moment. The glorification of the worm is what Dr. Hendricks called it. Uh, they come up and they said, Apollos, that was a great message. We'd love to have you come to our house for a little, little, little talk, which is always scary as a preacher. But they, uh, so they went to the house, and more than likely, what, they had a Bible study in their home. They received Apollos into their home, and they helped transform his ministry. But the greatest example of someone being discipled in a home is found in Acts chapter 9. Do you realize the great, mighty missionary, the Apostle Paul, who went and spoke to crowds and went to the marketplaces, he was discipled in the home of a man by the name of Judas, by a certain disciple by the name of Ananias, and, and, and God was very specific to Ananias, go to the home of Judas, and in that home, the man by the name of Saul, who I'm, I have just miraculously saved, but now needs to grow in Christ. I'm paraphrasing here. And he entered that house, and he said, and he, he touched him. That's the closeness that comes in home ministry. And he said to him those most beautiful words that Saul had ever heard. He's blind at this time by uh, God uh, showing him his spiritual blindness. And he says to him, Brother Saul. And he baptizes him, and he gives him food. That's always a critical part of home ministry. And he strengthens him, and he grows. Beautiful, beautiful example of growing. Now, I, I can give you so many examples. I, I remember with such great memory sitting at my kitchen table with uh, Woody Peters, man in the 70s at that time, and discipling this great saint in our church, just sitting there at our kitchen table. I can remember as a teenager at this church, sitting at the kitchen table of my youth pastor and, and youth leaders and, and making critical decisions. Um, just, it's just, there's just opportunities. This is why our grow groups meet in homes, because it's a great environment to help people strengthen their walk in the Lord. So let me encourage you, host a grow group in your home. You don't have to lead the group, just host the group like Nympha did. You have to be faithful, you have to be available and teachable, and you have to be willing to let people spill things on your carpet. That's just a fact of it. You know, We got our new carpet in, and just by uh, God's sheer uh, uh, sense of humor, we had our group over right after we had it in, and I, 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 I knew what was coming, and that was all right. I, I just gave it to the Lord. Lord, this is yours. This is how it is. And, and sure enough, uh, I, I, I rounded our couch in the middle of our day, and there, I mean, it, it wasn't just a, it was like, it was like the, the, the parting of the Red Sea. There was just like this, the River Jordan of brown Coca-Cola, and, 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 it, was, and it, was, it was just, it was just down. So, so someone had a jug that big, and it had fallen over, and, uh, and the beauty of it, though, was because it was a new carpet, it was just sitting all on top, and so we just cleaned it up, and, and uh, our dog's hair is collecting there now. No. It just, it just sat on top. But, you know, those things happen. So, I, you know, I asked some of the people that uh, have, grew, uh, have uh, hosted groups in our church to uh, tell me the hardest thing about hosting a group, the funniest thing, and the biggest blessing, and how it's helped them grow spiritually. So let me share some of those. 
Uh, obviously, the, the, some of them are like they can't even be shared publicly, Dana Polo. Uh, and so all I can say is Dana's funniest things, which tells you much about her kids and her, uh, three out of my four children have streaked during small group. Okay, and so they, you know, and then she went into detail, which I cannot share. Uh, but if you want to ask her, she'll she'll share it, won't you? And so, so there, there's flashing, streaking, all sorts of things going on there. And so that was funny. But the biggest blessing was those same kids have to help prepare for group. They have to clean. They have to help with the twins. It really does require all hands on deck until the last minute people arrive. They grumble and complain. See, that's just how it is. But someday, I know they'll remember what was important to us, serving our church family, and they will be equipped to do it in their own homes. Now, here's a picture. You have that, Dana? We have, Dana, uh, you know, Monday morning, I always get Monday morning humor from Dana and uh, on her Facebook page. So if you're not friends with her or she doesn't like you and haven't friended you, then you need to work that out so that you can get uh, morning humor from Dana. Uh, I've tried to block it, but it still comes. So I... I, I so this I caught this on on her Facebook, and uh, so you see those chairs set up. Those are church chairs, by the way. So those are church stolen church chairs. Then see how they're all set up like in this weird cockamamie way. The reason is this is Saturday. This is taking place on Saturday, is it not Saturday? It was Saturday, and Dana uh, was moved by the Spirit to clean her home, and so she started cleaning. And the twins see her cleaning, and they're like, hey, it's group night. And so they drag, they get these chairs all out and set them all up and go about their business. So, you know, I just, I got a big kick out of that. I thought that was, that was just funny. Yeah, must be group. Mom's cleaning. Okay. All right. That's good. That's funny. Now, that is a benefit. That, that's the biggest curse and blessing of hosting. Would you all agree? The biggest blessing is every week your house gets cleaned. Every week your house gets clean, which may not have happened otherwise. So that can be a blessing. The biggest curse and by far the hardest thing that everybody shared was cleaning their home every week, cleaning their home. And for those of you with kids uh, with a large quiver like the polos, it's not just cleaning it, it's keeping it clean for the next half hour before people come, right? Or even 10 minutes. It can be as much as five minutes, can it, right? Yeah, and keeping it clean. Um, So everybody said that. It's hard. Hey, by the way, it is hard. What have we learned in this series? Ministry is hard work. Okay? It's labor. It's hard work. Everybody wants to get in on the blessings of ministry. They come after the hard work. Okay? And all these people who said it was hard also said it was equally uh, a great blessing. Uh, Some of the funniest things is, uh, uh, again, I mean, this is pick on the polos morning. So the funniest things, according to Todd, was the weekly game of, quote, what did the polos leave behind tonight? And it was an ongoing joke, obviously, at the Adrian home after they left. And, uh, but, and the only way they resolved that problem was by moving the group to their house. <laughs> that is funny. Now, I, I have to confess on the receiving end, uh, the game at the Lay's house was uh, uh, calling the Riguses for what uh, Chris leaving his Bible there. And so... Many a time, we'd be about 10 minutes from the Lay's house, we'd get a phone, and we'd say, oh, what did I leave? I left my Bible, left my Bible again. And so, uh, let me read a couple more. These are kind of fun. Uh, what's the funny? Oh, funniest, okay. Uh, and this is good from uh, Bill and Sandra. The funniest thing that ever happened in our home, and this really shows uh, a lot of principles, not just something that's humorous. The funniest thing that ever happened in our home as a host was early on when the Barnes family uh, uh, Cecilia Barnes and her family was a part 
was a part of our small group. Their daughter, Brianna, was afraid of Norman Slaybaugh. <laughs> ah, that's just so funny. This is just funny. Huh? What? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's why I love. I thought, you have to be small to be afraid of him? <laughs> 20 years, I'm still afraid of him. Uh, the daughter, Brianna, was afraid of Norman. I just laughed so much on that. And one night during our fellowship time, Brianna asked Norman if she could sit on his lap, to which he responded yes. Brianna proceeded to climb up in his lap and continued to eat her snack. When Francis came into the room to sit next to Norman, Brianna looked up at her and said, See, he's not so bad after all. <laughs> Isn't that funny? That's just funny. Oh, I just thought that's so funny. Uh, yeah, and, uh, and, and that, that really illustrates a whole lot of principles there, you know, of cross-generational ministry that can happen in our home, of uh, the bonding that takes place. You, you think Brandon's going to get in his lap anytime here, Sunday morning? No, no, no. So that's a cool thing. Um, now, and, and talk about damaging. Uh, Jim said there's really no hardest thing. I thoroughly enjoy it, still enjoy it. There's short inconveniences, wear and tear on carpet, furniture, cleaning, but those are really who-care items, right? It's hard to explain, but it's really an honor to have people in our home, especially for the purpose of building lives together in Christ. Now, I thought this was funny. The hardest thing, Jerry said, uh, uh, cleaning the house every week. Vicki said the hardest thing was listening to Jerry gripe while he cleans the house every week. Now, I'm going to hold that one for a marriage the series that I'll be doing here, and uh, we could explore that. That's just, there's just a lot of interesting concepts going on there, but that was funny. All right. Um, so, great things. And, and there's all sorts, of, they, they said a bunch of spiritual things too, but, but uh, uh, of the bl- blessing and benefit, and it all comes down to this, fulfilling these purposes, okay? And look at the next one. Um, it says, show Christ, you can use your home to do the work of the ministry. And that's really what everyone said was the benefit of opening their home, was they get to show their, their gifting. They get to show Christ in, in loving others. They get to, to show ministry. And again, most of, not most, I shouldn't say most, much of Jesus' ministry of healing, serving, feeding, resting, refreshing took place, if you'll look in the Gospels in homes. And then finally, go with Christ. Your home can be used as a place to witness to the lost. Uh, again, you look in the book of Acts. Uh, I, I, I told you last or a couple weeks ago that home, the, the Greek word for home is oikos, and it means two things. It means both the place of a home, but the people of the household. And what happens is when you open your home to ministry and you bring people into that place, households get saved. People get saved. Uh, it's been our joy to have, I, I've, I've sat in my neighbor's kitchen tables, and I have witnessed for Christ. I've had, just this last week, had our cross-the-street neighbor, a uh, young lady, uh, that are, they're coming to our church, and, and uh, sit at our kitchen table with my daughter and with uh, my wife and, and, and share the gospel of Christ. It's just a, it's a great thing. Listen, gr- Christmas is a great time to have an open house, get to know your neighbors. Pastor uh, Bruce, a few years back, challenged us to have an open house. We did that. And it, and, and, uh, and we only had three show up, our next-door neighbors that we halfway knew, elderly couple, and then one guy we didn't know who probably, young man, unsaved, probably thought he was headed to a party. And, and he was there with us, uh, an elderly couple, in our, and, and he said, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a pastor. And that just started a great evening. 
And so it was just it was just funny. But Josh was a great guy. He stayed there. He enjoyed it. I don't know if he was looking for uh, a, a certain kind of beverage. I don't know. But we just had a great time. And because of that one open house for the next decade, we knew Josh. And he knew us. And it built a relationship just on that one open house. And it got him to come to our, you know, to our place. And since then, we've been in his house as well. Well, there's the opportunity. But let me go to the next point. Open your heart to seeing ministry in your home as a responsibility. Every opportunity has a corresponding responsibility. And let me emphasize 1 Peter 4, 9 again. Show hospitality to one another. You could write under that opportunity. And then it says what? Without. And you can put under that responsibility. It is a sacred opportunity, but it's a sacred responsibility to have people in your home and I look in this verse, verses 14, uh, 15 and 16 in Colossians 4, and I see three responsibilities in those verses. And the first is, remember this, when you have people, the people of God in your home, it's to build up the church body and not tear it down. It's to build up the church body and not tear it down. And we gather people in homes to bring the body together, not to drive it apart. Uh, so often... Uh, the temptation and what devil wants is you to have your little secret meetings and uh, overthrow the leadership, uh, grumble, gripe, complain, criticize, attack. And yet I love what Paul says. Give my greetings to the brothers in Laodicea and Nympha in the church. In other words, we should be greeting people, building them up, resist the temptation in your home, resist the temptation in your grow group, to be a neg- negative, critical, tear-down person. And it's e- easy, you're, you're, more tempted, you're more tempted to do that in your home. You see, at church here, we don't do that here. Someone might hear it. In our home, see, see, here's what happens. You're going to do in your home with others what you do in your home when others aren't there. And if you're a griping, critical person when others aren't there, guess what you're going to do when you invite people over? It's going to go to griping, critical you know, so I think that's a beautiful responsibility. The second is to teach God's truth and not our own opinions. Uh, when we gather in our small groups, we're not there to sh- share our own opinions. It's to teach God's word. I love what Paul says. He says, and when this letter has been written, the letter of Colossae, and then read the letter to Laodiceans. See, they didn't gather in homes to share their personal opinions. They gathered in homes to share God's word. Amen? That's what our grow groups are about. It's not about putting together our foolishness, it's correcting our foolishness by God's wisdom. And then the third is just use your gift and your shape. Nympha was in there. Nympha, uh, she was a woman. She had unique spiritual gifts. We don't know what they are. It doesn't matter what they are. Whatever your gift is, use it. And let me say this. You can have a small home. You can have a large home. Let me say this. You don't even have to have a home. Go to a homey environment. Most of my discipleship doesn't take place in a home. It takes place at Panera in a homey environment. They have a fireplace. I don't, you know, and, uh, and, and they have all sorts of uh, goodies that, that, I, that I can't readily uh, prepare. And so just because you're single or just because your home may not be conducive as you would like it to be, that doesn't mean that you can't find a homey environment, which is exactly what's going on in the marketplace these days, right? Why are all these places... They're becoming more homey because people are longing to be in a home-like environment. This is an opportunity for us as Christians. All right, third principle is this. Open your heart to seeing ministry in your home as accountability. See it as accountability. Here's the reality. 
Open your heart to seeing ministry in your home as accountability. I go back to 1 Peter 4.10, and it says this. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards. You go to 1 Corinthians 4, and it says a steward is to be faithful. And one day we will give account to the Lord. So I've given you three questions, and here's the accountability questions. How did you invest everything I've given you? See, it's not about having what someone else has. It's not about uh, focusing on what you don't have. It's looking at the resources you do have and asking and realizing that one day we're going to stand face-to-face with Jesus one-on-one, and he's going to say, what did you do with all that I gave you? The home, the resources, the money, the everything, the kids. How have you used your kids to win people to Christ? Did you fulfill the ministry I gave to you? And most of all, did you glorify me and my Father? So I want to end with this and take this to heart. Look at look in your notes here at the end. Make your mark. Follow in the footsteps of Nympha and open your heart. Open your heart and home for ministry. Let hospitality open doors for ministry in your home. Ladies, make your mark by investing your shape as women in ministry and dedicating your home to ministry for the Lord. Would you dedicate that today? Just dedicate all that you are, all that you have. But men, I want to end with this. Even though this last two weeks focused on a woman, I think there's tremendous stuff for us to learn, and it's this. Men, treat women with dignity, respect, and honor as co-heirs, as sisters in Christ, as mothers in Christ. Men, let's lead the way in the home and church so women have a clear path to pursue ministry as your marriage partner or ministry partner. Don't bemoan what your wife isn't doing. See if you are leading the way, men. You see if you are, you say, yeah, but she won't follow. Well, that's not your responsibility. Your, your responsibility is to clear the path and go after Christ whether she follows or not. God will deal with her and open her heart just like he opened Lydia's heart if he so chooses and if your wife so responds. Partner with women in ministry here at our church according to God-given roles and responsibilities. Let's honor the male headship in the church. Let's honor male headship in marriage but let's also treat women and partner with them and encourage them to get involved in ministry. And then finally, let's honor women who make their mark by fulfilling their ministry from the Lord. We have all sorts of women that we can honor right here in this class, right here in in our church. Now, I end with this verse. I love this. Now, brothers and sisters, you know about the household of Stephanus. That's both their home and the people in the home. That as the first converts of Achaia... They devoted themselves to ministry for the saints. If you didn't get anything in these last two weeks, I hope you got that. Devote yourselves to ministry for the saints. I urge you also to submit to people like this and to everyone who cooperates in the work and labors hard. Give recognition to such people. Isn't that beautiful? There's some hard words. You see, homey homey ministry is great, but within that home, submission, honor, and recognition should be taking place. Perhaps the greatest application you can leave with today is are we as a married couple, are we as parents practicing this within our own home? And then can we open that and share it with other people? We are so thankful at our church for those of you who are hosting and uh, for our groups, and I would encourage you to get involved. One of the big things they said, and it was this, in hosting, there's an added dimension of fellowship that you get by hosting that you don't get by guesting. 
And I thought that was a profound truth. Let's pray. Father, we come. And on this first Sunday of Advent, how ironic it is that when you came to earth as a man, there was no open home. There was no place for you to be born except in an added room. And so, Father, we pray and thank you that you humbled yourself to do that and then you have opened our hearts. Father, I pray that we would open our homes this season uh, to greater witnessing, greater discipling, greater worshiping opportunities and bless those who take first steps in doing Advent and encourage them and help them over the hard times. Help our hosts who have to clean and they work hard and they're tired. Uh, Bless them and let them see the blessings that come through this. Lord, we glorify you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.